Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 2, 4 through 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you may be seated. Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And this is an exciting season for us as a church. God has answered our prayers. We have been meeting in this gathering space for 11 years. It's rented and owned by, it's rented to us and owned by the city of Davenport. And we have been praying for our own permanent worship space and looking for them. But God has multiplied us. He's grown us. We've planted churches. We planted a church over in Moline. They've got their own building. And we've outgrown this space. Now, not necessarily just this space, even though if, if you put 830 and turn 30 together, we couldn't fit in here either. But our kids' space as well. We have about 140 kids under the age of 12 on a weekly basis at Sacred City. Some of you that are only in here, you didn't know there were kids here because there were five buildings down over there, all right? And we don't put them down there because we don't like them. We like them a lot, all right? That's just the only space we have for them is down there. So we've been praying that God would give us a new building, but there are not that many churches available in the Quad Cities. And in the past five years, there have been no churches available that we could actually fit in. Until, you guys know this, about last year, we started praying specifically. We knew we had to do something. And we started our advanced capital campaign. We, we, got, we raised over $250,000 in December. And then as we were obedient, guess what God did? God in January opened up a door for us. A building, a church building comes, doesn't even come on the market, just comes available and we find it and we purchase it and we're gonna, yeah baby, come on now. And we're gonna, anybody that's ever done setup was just yelling right there, you know? <laughs> and we will be closing by the end of this month, Lord willing. And that building is right there. That's what it looks like right now. That is uh, 
Hope Church in Bettendorf. It's about five minutes from here. It's a phenomenal location right in the neighborhood. What we've been praying for, a couple couple minutes off of 74 Bridge, so strategically located for us. Um, We can house all of our children in it, plenty of classrooms. And here's some good news. Our goal and what we're trying to do is remodel it to make it missionally hospitable for the neighborhood. Um, They've added onto it for for years and it's a nice building. It's got good bones, but it's not very missionally hospitable. When you walk right in, we want people to go, wow, we really like this space and feel welcome there. So we're going to do a lot of remodeling. And we're also trying to remodel it in such a way that for a while, hear this, for a little while, we all can worship God together in one service. Okay, that's the goal. That's the goal. Now, that's not, that's not the end goal because what's going to happen, Lord willing, more than likely, what everybody's telling me, is we're going to get in there and we're going to have one service and, it, and we're going to grow and we're going to have to go back to two services. So just letting you know, but for a while, we're going to go to one service. And that's the sanctuary right now. And they say that it can seat about 400 people right now. We're going to actually shrink that stage a little bit so we can get at least two more rows in the front. And we want to be able to get at least 450 people in there. So if we can get 450 people in there and we've got enough classroom to, to, to uh, have about 140 kids, 150 kids, we think there'll be enough, enough space to go to one service for a while. But I want to just bring this before you because one, we've prayed for it. Two, God answered it. And three, we're right on the cusp of stepping into this new building. So we are really thrilled about it. And as Rob mentioned before, if you're not a member, you don't know this, but we reached out to our members first. You know, we don't take offerings around here. We don't pass the plate. Uh, We go to our members and our members, because of the, the, the work that God has done in their heart, they're incredibly generous. And we said, hey, we want to remodel this building. We don't want to take out a huge mortgage. We want to raise another 600, I can't remember if I put 625 or $675,000 in order to remodel this building to be a blessing to our city. And so we've met with about half of our members so far. And so far we've got 400, over $450,000 committed for this, okay? So God is meeting our needs. It's an absolute blessing. And we're blown away by the people, the entrepreneurs out there that are like, you know what? I've been working for goals and I've been wanting to make more money, but instead of upping my cost or my standard of living, I'm actually going to give more. I'm actually working to meet, to meet this uh, new standard or sell these things in order to give more to the church. It's been awesome to see so many people step up and it's just, I mean, I'm just thrilled. I'm, I'm excited. I can hardly sleep. It's all I can think about right now is trying to how to make this space into a space that's fit for Sacred City Church. And I think God is going to, oh, here's one thing. You see that little, on the left-hand side, that was the original sanctuary. We're going to turn that whole thing into our uh, atrium. So that whole space right there, it's about 3,000 square feet, is going to be our, our, uh, our atrium. It's going to have big vaulted ceilings. It's going to be beautiful. But that bump out section that looks like maybe there was a fireplace there, that bump out section used to have a eight foot, eight foot by 12 foot window in it, okay? That window's coming back, all right? So we're gonna open that bad boy up. It's gonna be glass in there and we're probably more than likely gonna highlight one of the artisans from our church who builds glass crosses and we're gonna put some sick glass cross up in that window that's gonna be lit for the neighborhood to see. So I'm, I'm excited about this, all right? And we're gonna have all kinds of stuff that's gonna go on in this new building. And so just keep praying, keep giving, and start, and start inviting your friends. As, as, uh, as Pastor Rob said, uh, Easter's coming up, Good Friday's coming up, some of our favorite services of the year. So God's doing a lot of good things uh, in our church, but he's also doing some work in us um, as we're working through this sermon series um, called Origins. And we are currently studying, if you're just joining us, we're studying the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis, Genesis means beginnings. So we're going back and we're studying the beginnings of the human race. We're trying to find out what does God say about human beings? What does God say about human nature? What does God say about male and female? Who are we? What are we for? How are we supposed to live? Does our bodies say anything about our identities, our natures, our essence? Now, all of these questions for us are answered in the scriptures. This morning, as you heard read, we're going to study Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to do that as thoroughly as I can in 50 minutes, all right? Genesis 2, it gets down into the specifics of what makes man and woman different from each other. 
that God creates us differently to highlight the unique roles and attributes that we are meant to have that are meant to, listen, complement one another. Let me tell you right away, what I'm going to share this morning is going to rub you in some areas, it's going to rub you the wrong way. In some areas, it's going to push back on what you think to be true. Why? Because we are currently living in a culture that has cut itself off from both the wisdom of the ages and the wisdom of God himself as he reveals to us in the scriptures. Many of us, no, probably all of us in this room have been influenced in our understanding of what it means to be male and female by our culture and therefore we need God to open up our eyes to what he says about us. You might be tempted to get mad at me this morning. Think of me as just the mailman. All right? I'm just delivering the mail. So don't get mad at the mailman. If you get mad, get mad at the messenger. And I would say that's not a good idea. Okay? I'm just throwing it out there. Right? Listen, as I get into this this morning, every single week these sermons are going to build on top of each other. What was revealed in the week before is going to build on top of this. And it's the same thing today. Remember, we're starting in Genesis 2 today. We've already read Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we learned that we are all made in God's image. Male and female, God created them. God designed us. God made us. And we each share in his image and likeness. What does that mean? That means we are equal in dignity, value, and worth. Okay? No matter our sex, no matter our race, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our abilities, no matter how much money we have in the bank, no matter what neighborhood we live in and what car you drive, when it comes to our essence, when it comes to our human nature, when it comes to being made in the image of God, every person in this room is equal in dignity, value, and worth. Now, I start there this morning because you need to understand that no other religion in the world, no other worldview in the world says that about human nature. Christians believe that every human being is made in the image of God and therefore endowed with certain inalienable rights. You recognize that language. This is why it was Christians who first opposed abortion and infanticide in the first century. It was Christians who took care of widows. It was Christians who took care of orphans. It was Christians that first told husbands that they couldn't cheat on their wives in the Roman world and they had, to, they had to live with their wives in an understanding way. It was Christians who were the first to adopt children that were unwanted by their parents. It was Christians who rescued children who were born with disabilities that were left, that were left outside exposed to the elements in the first century. And it was Christians who worked to abolish the transatlantic slave trade. Now, it's important for me to begin here so no one misunderstands me this morning. Male and female are both 100% equal in dignity, value, and worth in the eyes of God. Okay? Man nor woman is better, listen, in essence than the other. Now, these are philosophical terms that I'm using that you might not pick up on. There's a difference between essence and purpose. Okay, man or neither man nor woman is superior in essence or dignity, value, and worth. But here's where the rub comes in. Man and woman are equal, but we are not equivalent. We are not identical. We are not the same. We have been made uniquely for different purposes, And functions. That means since we are made uniquely for certain purposes and functions, men are going to be better at some things than women most of the time, and women are going to be better at some things than men most most of the time. It is a scientific and biological fact that male and female bodies are not identical in purpose or function. Now listen, at one time, everyone in this room knew this, okay? Okay? When it came time on the playground to pick teams, most of the time, ladies, you weren't the first to get picked, were you? 
You're playing football? Sorry, right? Why? You weren't designed for that. Ooh, ooh, really? Now, what I just said has actually been universally believed by every single civilization that has ever been on the face of the planet. It is still believed by the majority of civilizations, but it is currently being denied and attacked in the Western world and especially in our country today. Our kids are being told today that man and woman are equivalent, that they are equal in purpose and function, not just as an essence, but in purpose and function, that a man can do anything a woman can do and he can do it just as good as her and a woman can do anything a man can do and she can do it just as good as him. Now that's just foolish. Now how do we get here? Because we deny a creator, we believe that we are plastic people who can create for ourselves our own purpose, meaning, and identity. That we deny the realities of our bodies that point to a certain purpose or end or tell us, and we rage against them. We, this is the illustration I've been using the past few weeks, we are fish out of water. And it's not going well for us. The young girls in our society are more depressed than they've ever been before. Current Barna studies show that three out of five teen girls are depressed, struggling with anxiety, and have, many of them have cont- contemplated suicide. That is not okay. Our young men, you don't hear much about this, but our young men aren't doing any better. They're more passive and lacking in ambition than ever before. More uncertain about how to be a man. Studies are showing that a a 20-year-old these days has the same testosterone level as their grandfathers. Something's going wrong. These young men don't know how to pursue a woman or even if they should pursue a woman. They don't know if they should get married since most marriages end in divorce anyway. They don't know if they should go to college or if they should pursue a career. Too many young men are stuck in a cycle of immaturity, obsessed with smoking weed and playing video games, the majority of whom are addicted to pornography, deathly afraid of taking responsibility for themselves and for their future, let alone anything or anyone else. These young men right now are four times more likely than their female peers, to commit suicide. It's not going well with them. For the first time in human history, there are more women applying to college than there are men. There are far more women graduating college than there are men. That doesn't mean you don't have to go to college to have a great career, but that creates a major problem for women because most of the time, an educated woman, she chooses an educated man. And when there's less educated men out there, she's more likely to be unhappy in her future. This is not okay. When people ask me, Justin, what? Why, dude, why do you bring this stuff up? Why do you talk about this controversial stuff? Why do you say things that you know are going to make people mad? Maybe even leave our church. The answer is I say this because I love you. And I love your children. And I don't want to see another teenager commit suicide or another teenager be depressed or be anxious and not know their purpose in life, not know what they're for. I don't want to see another young woman think that being, being, getting pregnant or having a children is somehow a lesser choice for her than pursuing a career. We, as a culture, are being lied to and it's having devastating consequences. Jesus said that Jesus said he came to give us life and life more abundantly. But he didn't just stop there. He said, but one came to, his name was Satan, and Satan is the father of lies. He's been lying from the beginning. And Satan came to steal, to kill, and destroy. And our culture is obsessed with Satan. Watch the Grammys if you don't believe me. I've heard a thing or two about it, right? 
We're obsessed with Satan and we're following his ways. We're believing his lies and our children are being stolen from. Their futures are being stolen from. Many of them are dying and they're being destroyed. And our civilization is being destroyed as well. The only thing that can cut through Satan's lies is the truth with a capital T. And that's a person. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what I'm going to do this, no, actually, what I'm not going to do this morning, I'm not going to tiptoe around trying not to offend you. I'm going to teach you what God says about anthropology, the study of man and woman. I'm going to do this because I love you, and I don't have time to nuance and qualify and say everything that the Bible's not saying. I'm just going to tell you what it says this morning. I want you to know the specific purpose he has for you. I want you to live out that purpose and flourish as a human being made his image and likeness. And I want our young people to know what God says about them. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? I want them to believe him and trust him and live out his purposes for them knowing that his ways are the best ways. God created you with a purpose. Do you know what it is? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we do, let me pray. God, we need a miracle. We need a miracle from you. We need you to speak to us, and we need to hear you speak. Father, I know people are going to be tempted to think this is my opinion, this is my ideas. I pray that you would show them from the word of God that this is yours. Again, that I'm just the mailman. Uh, help us to see that it's true. Help us to see that it's good. Help us to see that it's beautiful, and help us to believe it. Father, would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords? Let it be all of you and none of me. I really don't want to get in the way of your spirit this morning. I want your spirit to speak and bring freedom to your people. Would you do this for our good and your glory in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, well, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4. The first thing you need to remember, we are in Genesis 2. Genesis 1 so if you read Genesis 1 and then you read Genesis 2, this seems like there's two different creation accounts. Well, it's not really two accounts. Genesis 1 is the Google Earth view. It's the view from outer space. It's the view, the galactic view. And then Genesis, so he creates all things, right, in six, in six days. And then, the, you know, in Google, uh, Google Earth, when you put in your address and then it, it starts way out here and then it zooms into your neighborhood view, Genesis 2 is the neighborhood view. It's focusing on the creation of the garden and the creation of Adam and Eve. Look at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And look at this. And there was no man to work the ground. There was no man to work the ground. Now, interestingly here, God creates the entire cosmos and yet it's not finished until he puts a man in the garden, right? Remember, we said that this was called the cultural mandate, that, the, that human beings are to take the stuff of creation and we're to develop it into civilizations and cultures. The Bible begins in a garden and it ends in a city. The story of man begins in a garden and ends in a city. Who is supposed to build that city? We are, human beings. God put us on this planet to work. Somebody better say amen. amen. The Garden of Eden was not meant to be a permanent vacation. See, we were put here to work. Work is a good thing. Work is a God-honoring thing. Before the curse happened, there was work. You were put here to invent things, to build things, to create things. That's why you're here. You were not meant, as Rob said last week, we were meant to work six days and rest one day. You were not meant to work 60 years and then watch Wheel of Fortune for the next 20. Actually, you watch Wheel of Fortune, you usually get about six years and then it goes downhill from there, right? We're meant to work all the, all the years of our life. I know we like this idea of retirement in the West, but 
That's not a helpful uh, anthropology. It's not a he- you get bored and your body begins to break down. You were made to work. And older people are called to invest in younger people in the church specifically. Older women are called to invest in younger women and teach them how to love their wives and work in their homes. Right? As you get to that retirement age, you're not meant to go off and just live somewhere else on the beach. Right? You're meant to worship with God's people, stay connected, and continue to invest in your family and in other families in the church. We are put here to work. Work is a good thing. It's not just a result of the fall. Many of us need to get our thinking around work reshaped. And of course, we're meant to worship one day a week. And that worship isn't, uh, that rest is meant to be worshipful on Sunday morning. We don't rest however we want to rest, right? We don't just lay on the couch or lay in our beds or, or just go to the beach. We rest by worshiping God. Well, now we're getting into the very specifics on the order and orientation of the origins of the human race. These next verses are some of the most important in all the Bible. We need to pay really close attention, and then we need to spend the rest of our lives trying to understand them and live out their implications. All right? So I've been studying these verses for at least 25 years, and every time I study them, something clicks. I understand something in a greater way. Something goes a little deeper. It's, they're, they're full of nuance and full of wisdom. Let's look at verse chap, verses 6, chapter 2, verses 6, 6 and 7. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The man became a living creature. There's three things that are important to note from this verse. One, man is created first. We're going to talk about the man, then we're going to talk about the female, and we're going to juxtapose them a little bit. One, man was created first. Two, man is created from the dust of the earth. And three, man is then breathed into by God himself and becomes a living being. All of these importance, and we're going to take a closer look at each of them in turn. First, man is created first. Now, it's important that we don't get our anthropology from Ricky Bobby here, who says, if you ain't first, you're last (laughs) in Talladega Nights, all right? This is not a zero-sum game. The order of creation does tell us something about our purpose, but it does not mean that men are superior to women. Men are not first and women last. What it means is that man was created first and therefore he is the covenant head. The primary representative. Man, Adam, is the one God will hold accountable for everything that takes place in the garden under his watch. Being created first brings with it a terrible responsibility. This is why Paul later says in 1 Timothy that women cannot be pastors. That they cannot lead and teach and have authority over men in the church. He says specifically, here it is, 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have exercise authority over a man. Rather, in the church, this is the gathered church, she is to remain quiet. Look, why? Because she's dumb? No. Because she's not good enough? No. Because she's not as good as a man? No. This is why Adam was formed first. Then Eve, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Here's the reasoning of the scriptures. Men were created first, therefore they are meant to be the leaders in their home and in the church. They're to be responsible. They're to be the heads, the covenant heads. In Genesis chapter 2, 15 and 16, let's read this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Man alone is put in the garden with a mission. The mission is work it and keep it. Man was given the mission first. 
hear this. Before God created woman, he put man in the garden to work it and keep it. He created a garden, put man in it, and said, get to work. Man got the mission first. Then to man alone, look what God says. Keep reading. And the Lord, verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, quote, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God said to the man, to Adam, and Adam alone, the garden is full of all these yeses. You have a garden of yeses and one tree of no. You can do anything. You can go anywhere. You can explore. You can bless, work it, and keep it. Just don't eat of this one tree. God said that to the man. He gave the man the mission, and he gave man the, to man the commandment. Adam was the one responsible. Adam was the covenant head. What does that mean? That means the buck was meant to stop with Adam. From this point on, everything that would happen after this wouldn't necessarily be Adam's fault, but it would be his responsibility. In Ephesians 5, Paul says this, wives, submit to your own Husbands. Now I can just feel the oxygen get sucked out of the room because every woman in here, this is their life verse, right? This is their verse that they've got t-shirts at home that just says, you know, joyfully submitting, right? Everybody's got it on their coffee cup. My Bible says, wives submit. I just love it. It's my life verse. No, I know we don't like this verse. Wives submit to your own home. Listen, Submission. 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 Come under the mission. Come under the mission. God gave to Adam a mission. And gives, because Adam can't accomplish the mission on his own, he creates Eve for Adam. Submission. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. As you submit to Christ, you submit to your husbands. For the husband is the head, the covenant head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ Jesus, so also wives should submit in everything in everything to their own husbands. Now it should go without saying that our entire culture rejects this whole idea. Many times under the name of patriarchy. Patriarchy is taken from two Latin words, patri, which means father, and archi, which means arc, which means rule. So patriarchy originally meant father rule. So Husbands were the head of their wife and the covenant head of their home. And the husbands were responsible to lead and to love their wives and their family. Now our culture demonizes this idea and demonizes this world and basically points that everything is wrong in our culture and says, oh, it's the patriarchy's fault. Our culture says this view of man and woman is oppressive, that it's demeaning to women that this is just a power play for men to take advantage of women. Well, that is not at all what the scriptures teach. This is not teaching that men are superior to women. This is not teaching that all women must submit to all men. Here's what the Bible is saying. Men and women are created differently. We are created with different purposes and functions and we are given different roles that are assigned to us that correspond to our nature that God has given us. We're given different roles in marriage, in family, and the church by God. The man is given the role of leader or covenant head and the woman is given the role of helper. We'll see, let's read in verse 18. 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, a helper. Now this word gets demeaned by some, a helper. You think I'm just a, you're gonna call me the help? I'm the help around here? Well, don't get too worried about this term. God himself is called our helper. The Hebrew word is either in the scriptures. If the Holy Spirit is our helper and isn't demeaned by that, then you should not be demeaned by being called your husband's helper. We're going to see some uniqueness here as we take a look at these. I want to, I want to zero in on the man's creation and zero in on the woman's creation. I want us to see some unique things here. Men were created from the dust of the ground. They were meant for the earth. They were made to work the ground and to keep it, right? They're meant to go out there and pursue and create and build. And there's something about them that's oriented towards the earth. And then God takes this thing and he breathes into it the breath of life, showing us that we're more than just physical, we're more than just carbon, that God himself, who is spirit, breathes into us the breath of life, and now we have a part of us that will live forever somewhere, that we are spiritual creatures that will live forever somewhere. We are meant not just to build things, but we're meant to walk and talk and know God, who is spirit. We're meant to live somewhere forever. And let's juxtapose that with the creation of the woman. And the first thing we, we need to notice, we've talked about this a little bit before, but before he gets to the woman, he, he, he does this. He says, remember the rhythm of Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. God saw that it was good, right? It happened and God saw that it was good. And you get this rhythm of God said, God saw, and God proclaimed that it is good. And then God creates man and he puts him in the garden and he says, ah, Nope, it's not good anymore. The fr we need to get this rhythm, right? It's the rhythm, it, there's a rhythm going and now the rhythm's broken. Man, for the first time, by himself, in the garden, is not good. God says, this is the first time God ever said something was not good. And what was it? Man alone without the opposite sex. Verse 19 to 20, let's read it. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man, Adam, called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. This is the greatest game of not it that has ever been played. Adam is sitting there exercising his dominion like God told him to do over creation and all the animals are coming before him and he's basically doing the scientific method here. He's looking at everything, he's classifying them and he's calling them. He's, he's naming them. He's exercising his dominion. But in one sense, what Adam is doing is not it, not it, not it, not it. He's recognizing these animals keep coming to me in pairs and they're complementary pairs. There's a male and there's a female and they procreated and he's going, not it, not it, not it, not it. What's missing? The other half of me is missing. My complementary pair is missing. And God said, that's not good. And Adam begins to realize it as he starts naming these things. There's no helper. My other is not there. My, compliment, my complementary partner is not there. Adam could not accomplish the mission that God gave him to without Eve. Young men, this is still true. God has called us to pursue a woman, 
to be fruitful and multiply, to build families to the glory of God, to push back darkness and to create good things that build cities for the large and for the large majority of us, that means we need to pursue a woman and we need to get married. And that's a good thing given to us by God. We, don't, we should not be passive. We should not be sitting back and just waiting for things to happen. We should be stepping forward and pursuing this God-given purpose for us. Now, I know single people, you know, you, 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 that bothers you sometimes. I don't want to be field less. I don't want to be made less than. Listen, you're not less than in dignity, value, and worth, right? You're not less than in dignity. You're still made in the image of God. We could say Jesus himself was also a single man. Right? He lived a fulfilling life as a single man. But unless you've been given the gift of singleness, most of you are meant and you have a desire to pursue the opposite sex, to get married, to have children, to build a family. And that is a good thing. And you should pursue it. Right? And why, why do I do that? Because the culture says it's not a good thing. Right? The culture says, ah, better not do that until after college. Better not do that until after a few years in the career, you know, in, in the corporate world. And then you get... You, you start pursuing someone, you realize, oh, most of the good ones are already taken, <laughs> right? And then you realize, then you, you find a woman, and then you start looking down and go, I've only got four years left on my biological clock. I better get going. I guess those six kids I wanted ain't going to happen, right? We need to pursue things the way God says them, says we're to pursue them, right? Find a woman. Pursue her. Get married. Make babies. Bless the world. It's a good thing. And most of us know that. You know if you're single, you, 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 you desire it. You feel like there's a part of you missing. Guess what? There is. Unless God's given you the gift of singleness, there is a part of you missing. You're missing your complementary pair, just like Adam was. And listen, if God looks at Adam and says it's not good to be a man, it's not good to be alone, what does that say about us? This was before the fall. We got a, single men get in a lot of trouble. I'm just telling you that. Get in a lot of trouble, do a lot of dumb things. Right? We're meant to focus that energy towards pursuing a woman, building a family, worshiping God. Notice here. Now let's, let's go to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, that word is fashioned, into a woman and brought her to the man. Notice here, as man is created from the ground, and he's given the mission to work it and keep it. Woman is created from the man. And she's given the mission to be his helper. Adam's orientation is towards the earth to work it and keep it. And we see Adam do this right away. He's exercising his leadership and dominion over the earth by naming all the animals, right? Eve's orientation is to be towards her husband. She's going to be more relationally oriented to him to help him fulfill the mission that God gave him. She is to come alongside her husband, to be under his leadership and under his protection and help him accomplish the mission that God gave him. Now, the famous commentator, Matthew Henry, has said of this reality, listen to this, quote, the woman was made out of a, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. This is why in the New Testament, Paul calls husbands to lead and love their wives. 
He knows husbands aren't naturally inclined towards this anymore. Husbands are naturally inclined to be out in the world and to be accomplishing things and they can treat marriage like something they accomplish. And so they look and they want to get a good education or they want to get a good trade and they want to get a good career and they say, check, now I'm ready for a woman. And they get the woman and they say, check, right? And then they go to work and they start providing for that woman and try to advance in their career. And they go to the woman, the, woman the, the, the wife is like, why don't you ever tell me you love me? Why don't you ever buy me flowers? Why don't we go on a dates anymore? And the husband's like, what are you talking about? I told you I loved you on the day I married you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> and she's like, no, that ain't good enough, right? So Paul tells husbands, lead and love your wife. But then what does he say to women? To women, he says, respect and submit to your husbands. It's not easy for men to lead. It's not easy for men to love. It's not easy for women to respect. It's not easy for women to submit. In other words, do what you were created to do. Your original design. In the, in the garden, go back to that. Redemption restores nature. Go back to that. That's what you're for. Fulfill your purpose. Men, you are called to lead and love your wife. You are called to be the spiritual leader in the home. You are called to provide for the family and to protect them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Paul goes on to say that husbands are called to lay down their lives for Christ like Christ did for the church. Do you hear that? Ladies, envy is a sin. And our culture runs on envy. And envy says, why does he get to be the leader? That's what envy says. If you start your life there, you're going to be miserable. If you run on misery, anybody that runs on envy is a miserable person. They get no joy out of their life. Okay, Here, here's what happens. Why do they get to be the leaders? And the men, the men are like, well, I don't really want to be the leader, so go ahead. <laughs> why? To be the leader. Do you hear who the, who are we to follow? Christ, how did it go for him? Do we want to be that? Oh, all it takes to be a good husband is dying of your, every day, dying. That's all I do all day long is just die. <laughs> just lay my life down like Christ did for the church, right? This is the type of leadership God's called us to. Women, don't look at that and go, why does he get to be the leader? Why does he get to be the one that lays his life down and dies for his family? Because God made him a man, that's it. Not because he's better, not because he's smarter, not because he's stronger. None of those things. God made him that way. That's what men are for. We are called to be the bullet catchers. Every society has known this. We always send the men out to war. We're the first insane society that says, oh, women want to do it? Go ahead, ladies, do it. The, the men are doing it on video games and the women are doing it in real life. Paul says that husbands are to lay down their lives like Christ did for the church. That means we don't lord it over our wife. Men, we don't come home with a shirt that says, wives, submit. Right? We lead, our we lead and love with the spirit of Christ. Bold, courageous, humble, and sacrificial. We want our wives to joyfully submit to our leadership. And ladies, you are called to a courageous task to respect and submit your husband as you submit your life to Christ. You are to come alongside him in submission. That means you are to come under his mission. You are to support him and encourage him and bless him and respect and honor his leadership. Did you know you are his glory? Paul makes this interesting statement in 1 Corinthians 11 where he says this, listen, man is the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Now you might misunderstand that. If you misunderstand it, it might sound demeaning. 
It sounds like Paul might be saying, man is the glory of God. He's the ultimate. Women, women are just the glory of man. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying man was created first and therefore is the glory of God. But woman was created last and was custom designed to be the glory of the man. She is his glory. In other words, man is version one and woman is version two. And if this is an iPhone, which one do you want? In other words, man is the glory of God, but woman, everything that man is as a glory, a woman is, this is why God doesn't breathe into the woman. He doesn't have to. He's already breathed into the man and the woman comes from the man so she gets everything that came with the man but she's got new features. She's the glory of the glory. The man is the glory of God. Woman is the glory of man. She's glory squared. <laughs> this is why Adam immediately gets so poetic and starts spitting bars. If you don't know what that means... Let me tell you what that means. Look at verse 23. Then the man said, this at last. First off, at last. That was a long day of work for Adam, going through all those animals, naming them all. Not it, not it, not it. Iguana, not it. Like just going through all the animals, classifying them, not it, not it, not it. And then at last, God brings a woman that he custom designed for Adam and he brings her to the man in this first marriage ceremony. We're going to talk about marriage a lot next week, focusing on that. And Adam sees her for the first time. And what does he do? He starts spitting poetry. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. He names her. Ladies. Thankfully, Eve didn't show up. Who do you think you are naming me woman? I'll tell you who I am. No, Adam, she showed up and Adam said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, which shows us, men, how we should lead. Because our wife is our standard of beauty. We don't know what she looked like. She might have been 6'6", 350. She might have been built like a middle linebacker and looked like Chewbacca. But he sees her and goes, oh, dang, girl, let's go. She was made for me. She was custom designed for him. He said, there's my glory walking into the room. That's my glory right there. Men, do you lead like that? See, this is, what, this is how pornography can steal this from you. Because your standard of beauty becomes some fake image on the internet, some filtered up vi vi vision, some puffed up and self-created image and not your wife. Your wife is your standard of beauty. And as she changes over the years, your standard of beauty changes over the years. And you're meant to look at her and say to her, girl, you look good today. Eve, is the best thing he's ever seen. She is his glory. And he, what does he do? He sees her and he steps up into his leadership role, his covenant head role, and he names her woman. And later in chapter three, he's gonna name her Eve, the mother of all living. This woman now will carry his child, will do something he cannot do, give life to another human being. The narrative in chapter 2 ends with this first marriage ceremony and Adam and Eve consummating their marriage. Right now, I want you to see that Adam and Eve were equal in dignity, value, and worth. But they were not equivalent. They were made uniquely for their specific roles and purposes. This is still true. This is universally true. This is human nature. It's a given, it's fixed, it never changes. It never changes. Our culture is lying to us. It never changes. This is what we are for. Now you might say, 
Well, I don't think that's fair. Well, who said anything about fair? It just is. Is it fair that the birds have wings and we don't? Well, I don't think it is. I think that'd be pretty cool, actually. Is it fair that the fish can breathe underwater and we can't? We did at one time. You knew that, right? Now we can't. What? How did we lose that ability? That'd be cool. Is it fair that, by and large, men are much larger, stronger, and have greater bone density than women? Is it fair that only women menstruate? None of this is fair. The world's not fair. The question isn't, is it fair? The question is, what should that tell us about our nature? What should that tell us about what we are for? It should tell us that we are not what the culture says we are. We are not autonomous individuals. Our bodies tell us something about our purpose. Our bodies are not our own. We do not get to determine what we are for. We did not self-create. We did not choose to be born into this world with this body and with this nature. It just is because God is our creator and he has given us or he has the divine rights to tell us how to live our lives. Because he knows the blueprints. He knows what he created us to do. And he knows what will ultimately make us happy. But I want to say one more thing about fair. As I close this morning. Remember the command God gave to Adam in verse 16. He said this. The Lord God commanded Adam, saying, you may, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's fair. God says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you everything you need to be happy and fulfilled. Just don't do one thing. And if you do, you will surely die. And guess what? Adam failed as a husband. Did you know that throughout the rest of the Bible, Adam is the one held responsible for this catastrophic failure, not Eve. Even though, you'll see next or in chapter 3, Eve was the one who was deceived by the serpent. Eve was the one who ate of the apple first. Eve was the one who convinced her husband to eat it, and he ate. Eve is never blamed Adam is the one held responsible throughout the rest of Scripture. Adam is the reason that death enters into the world and mankind gets cursed. Adam is the reason that every single human being afterwards be born with original sin. Eve sinned first, but Adam was held responsible to God. Is that fair? Yes, I think it is. Adam was created first. Adam was given the mission. Adam was given the commandment by God himself. See, Adam was told by God, face to face with God, don't eat that tree, right? Work it and keep it. We don't see God saying that to Eve. Adam told, or God told Adam, Adam was meant to lead his wife and tell his wife, hey, honey, we stay away from that tree. Our family doesn't go there. Our family doesn't eat that. We don't do that. We can eat anything else. Adam was meant to lead her in that way. Adam failed to lead her in that way, and Adam was held responsible. Adam was told the consequences if he disobeyed God, and Adam failed to lead his wife. He didn't protect her from the lies of Satan. In one sense, we can look at the world and the brokenness and the sin and the murder and the horrible things that go on in the world, and we could say at its very root was a man not leading his wife. From that day forward, sin entered the world and God's good creation was put under a curse. And the surprise when you read through Genesis 3 isn't that Adam screwed it up. The surprise is actually 
that Adam lived to Genesis 4. Like God doesn't kill him. God doesn't destroy him. God didn't just kill Adam and Eve after they sinned. He didn't just destroy his creation. Listen to this. Why? Why? God had a plan to send a new Adam. You know what he didn't send? A new Eve. God had a plan to send a new Adam, a new covenant head, a righteous husband. Remember Jesus, he was married to somebody, the church, the bride of Christ. To enter into the human race and do what we cannot do as men and women. To live a life without sin. And then to take the curse of death upon himself, to destroy death itself, and to give sinners like us forgiveness of sins and new spiritual life. I gotta go here. This is how Paul says it in Romans 5. Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through what? One man. No mention here of Eve. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We sin because Adam sinned. We are sinners. We are born with original sin. Therefore we sin. We don't sin and become sinners. We're born in sin and then we sin out of that sinful nature. Okay? Adam, was the, Adam and Eve were the only ones that didn't have a sinful nature. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Look, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So Adam was the, one, the first one who sinned without a sinful nature. Everybody else since then has been sinning with a sinful nature. But Adam, look, who was a type of the one to come, was a sign of the one to come, was pointing forward. So Adam wasn't just a man. He was a historical figure, but he was also a type. He was a covenant head. He was a figurehead that was pointing towards someone else who would come a better figurehead. Well, who is that? Let's keep reading. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Jesus Christ is the new covenant head. Jesus Christ is the new Adam. So what does that mean for us? Keep reading. The free gift, salvation, is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification to be made right with God as if you had never sinned before. That's what justification is. Keep reading. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Just as Adam's sin was counted for us all, so Jesus' perfect life can be counted for all of those who are in Christ. Keep reading. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to, look, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is this saying? Where Adam failed and brought condemnation to all men, Jesus succeeded and brought righteousness and justification and forgiveness to all men. We're counted sinners, not because of our own work, but because of Adam's. We can be counted righteous, not because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness. Why? Adam was our covenant head. Jesus is our new covenant head. Think about it. The world is broken because of the failure of a husband. And the world will be made right because of the success of a husband. What kind of husband was Jesus Christ? Loving, honest, faithful, self-sacrificial. 
Was it fair that his reward for being faithful was rejection and crucifixion? No. It was far more than fair. It was gracious. If God was only fair, we would all die in our sins and live forever in hell separated from him. He promises disobey, death. But thanks be to God that he is gracious and gives us what we do not deserve. Forgiveness, justification, righteousness, and eternal life. We are forgiven today and called children of God because Jesus, our covenant head, left heaven and laid down his life for us. What does that mean? Wives, it's a great, it's a great calling and challenge for you to submit to your husband. But before, any, before you do that, all of us are called to submit our lives to Jesus Christ, our covenant head. Husbands lead in love under the headship of Christ, meaning we've submitted ourselves first to Christ. We all submit to Christ. What does it mean to submit to Christ? It means to say, I'm not my own. God, you tell me who I am. I'm not gonna try to earn my identity. I wanna receive it from you. Jesus, I want your eternal life. Jesus, I want your forgiveness. Jesus, I want that justification. The work that you did on the cross, I want it to be for me. We bow our knee to King Jesus. I'm out of time. Father God, I thank you for this good news. It's good news, it's sharp, it's cutting, it's countercultural, but it leads to life and life more abundantly. I pray that we would see it as such and we would believe it, we would submit ourselves to you. You would work out its details in our life and we'd find joy in it. Would you bless your people? And now as Christians who bowed our knee to you, we come before you to take the Lord's Supper. We submit ourselves to you. We look to Christ who laid his life down for us, shows us what a good husband looks like, shows us what a good man looks like, shows us how much the Father loves us and how far the Father was willing to go and how far Jesus was willing to go to love us into his kingdom. May we eat and drink and may you communicate your blessing, your grace to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.